This is Dave Vellante of the Wikibon Project, and welcome to this, the 55th Wikibon Peer Insight Research Meeting. This is part two of Managing Archive and Retention Risk. On February 3rd, 2009, we were joined by Michael McCreary and other members of the Wikibon community to discuss the state of archiving and retention. McCreary is formerly the head of Pfizer's Legal Technology Group and is currently Vice President and COO of Rational Retention, an information management software startup in New York. In part one of the series, we define the problems faced by today's IT and legal organizations. In part two, we discuss the technology and architectural frameworks that will address the problem in the next 12 to 18 months. To summarize part one, the problem. We had first-generation email archiving and e-discovery systems put in place as a knee-jerk reaction to regulation and litigation risk. We archived everything in a centralized repository and feared getting rid of any data. This has driven storage and e-discovery costs through the roof. Because risk, by its very nature, is distributed throughout an organization, the centralized approach has not solved the problem to the degree that we need. We asked Mike to take us through the steps of solving this problem and architecting next-gen solutions. The next step from a, from a, to, to segue from the content perspective is in order to, to make a smart decision about how you're going to keep something and how long you're going to keep it and how long you're going to manage it, either centrally or decentrally, and, and again, the decentralized problem is probably the greater one, you have to be able to look at the content of information and you have to be able to categorize it. It's that simple. Mike. Can you get users to classify the data? Frankly, any situation we've asked again users to go ahead and try and categorize uh, emails or documents or any, anything they create have almost doomed, always, always doomed to failure because of the, the reality is end users don't do a good job of categorization. That they're, they're inconsistent from one day to the next. They're certainly inconsistent across the group. Martin Tuip of Mimosa Systems then weighed in, stressing the challenges of classification complexities. But things that end users haven't been able to find a delete key in the last 15 months, and I think, I think classifying information, you're, you're thinking about a whole different set of complexity. Yeah, yeah. That, so the complexity classification is not trivial. I mean, I, I don't. I won't, and but there are solutions out there that start to, to address this, and there have been some tools certainly that, that came out of the bioinformatics space and uh, where the you know text retrieval space where they're where we're starting to get much better at. Um, at our ability to automatically classify information. There's, there's tools such as support vector machines, uh, probabilistic latent semantic indexing, um, decision trees, and, and other, other types of, of classification and, uh, and, class, and uh, categorization uh, technologies that are pretty well proven and have been around for the last 10 or 15 years, have a pretty decent um, uh, academic back, uh, you know, backing and are, are used in, in a number of different settings. Those tools can be applied to large corpuses of text as well. And again, part of the, the one of the things around auto classification is that people um, often, to, you know, are, are not sure where the bar in terms of accuracy is. I mean, when when talking with my my, my attorneys um, at, at Pfizer, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what, what where that was, and really where where it came down to is that the bar needs to be, um, at, you know, at least as good as humans, which isn't particularly high, by the way. It could be 60 or 70 percent accuracy, and and it also more importantly or just as importantly, needs to be transparent and consistent. So it's never a process that can be gained by an organization in order to try and get rid of stuff or that could be problematic. It has to be completely transparent. It has to be auditable, so, and it has to be a process. 
So those kind of standards that are required for classification are met by, again, things like support vector machines and probabilistic cement, latent semantic indexing. Both of those, those things are, are basically learning capabilities where you, you can feed, uh, an organ, uh, feed, feed a system a set of documents and it can say, all right, hey, I'm going I'm to use this as, a, as my training set and go find others that are like that. Wikibon's David Floyer probed McCreary a bit further. Has that been tested in court? No, uh, it has it has to some extent um, there there, but it's it ha we haven't had a, a court case that's, that, that comes up and says no, we didn't, uh, you know, we don't accept your classification. Frankly, in large part because people aren't haven't really moved um, to it very quickly. We're just now starting to do it. We're starting to see some classification um, used for the review. So that that return, attorney review piece I was talking about earlier, we're using some auto classification there. But certainly from a, a standards of evidence and admissibility. Um, there's there's a very specific uh, set of rulings that and that establish what um, what would be admissible for say in expert testimony, uh, and and it's about uh, things such as uh, does it have a good uh, academic background, has it been does it have a testing methodology to to it, is it well accepted? There's a set of, there's a set of uh, questions associated with that, and the, the tools that we're talking about meet that those requirements. Uh, and then the next step, of course, is as we start to utilize them, we'll find that they do get, they may get tested in court. But I think people are, uh, again, talking to a number of attorneys, they're, they're fairly comfortable that these tools uh, can be proven to, to uh, meet the requirements of, uh, of legal uh, defensibility. Again, it's also how you use it. So it's ensuring that you're putting a process around it. It's not complete dependence on that tool either. Mike, uh, it's Mike Versace again. Do, when, you, when you talk about the classification process, do you separate the declaration process from classification? So first, there's a process of inspecting content to declare content to be either an official record or not. Do you separate the two functions, and do, does technology support that? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. A lot of people don't even realize that there is a declaration function in terms of a process for, say, records. Um, my, my belief is no, that we shouldn't separate that. In fact, the tools that we build uh, don't do that uh, be, because they start at the beginning. Uh, this way they can understand what it is at its inception and then at that point make decisions about how it should be managed because it may never need to be declared. And in fact, that's the right. idea is you want to identify all the stuff that's crap and all this junk that sits out there. You don't want to declare it. You just want to be able to move it off and, uh, and get rid of it. Mike, can you please explain for the Wikibon audience what rational retention does? Actually, before I get too deep, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, that, that distributed control component because that actually rational retention is all about uh, executing that dis distributed control. Uh, we got a little bit off onto the auto classification, which is central to the problem. But then once it's classified, you still need to figure out what you're going to do with it. So I still got this document sitting on my desktop. What, what can I do with it? Um, and, and really, you, you need to be able to do a, a couple of things with that document, you need to be able to uniquely identify it. You need to be able to use something like a hash, SHA-1, or MD5, or combination. And there, 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 again, lots of technology out there that uniquely identifies that. You then need to really make the content of that visible. And by making the content of the, of the visible, you've seen tools uh, as uh, enterprise search tools or, or the number of tools that let you extract the text of that document. You can extract the text and the metadata from that document, and you can use that information to then make decisions, then to classify it, and then make policy-based decisions on how to manage it according to that classification. So it, 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 it importantly is you need to be uniquely identify and then make it visible. 
And then beyond that, you need to have tools that allow you to prevent the delete in place. So again, in the in the in the in the uh, instance of a uh, of electronic discovery where you've got a preservation requirement, you need to be able to proactively uh, pre prevent that delete from happening. You pre basically prevent the user from doing something that they're not supposed to do. You also need to be able to move or copy that stuff because when you think about it. Um, the, the next part from an e-discovery perspective is certainly that you want to go ahead and um, collect that document because ultimately you have to produce it to the other side. Well, after you've identified it, you prevented that destruction of it, then you go collect it and move it forward. Then, then really the last thing is is the ability to force a enforce a delete. You need to be able to say centrally, like you know, this this this, this type of document shouldn't be around, um, and we should get rid of it because it's reached the end of its life. So at that point, you want to be able to centrally uh, uh, enforce that delete. So effectively, what you're doing is centralized control using the text and metadata of a document uh, from a from a central repository, but executing but to distributed action. So it's centralized control of a distributed environment. Uh, Rash retention specifically does exactly that. So I'm talking about a tool that we have that allows us to, um, use, by using agents to, to to sit on a desktop or to integrate with an email server that explicitly do all of the things I just described and allow you to to, to extract that text and metadata and and to ultimately push things um, to, to 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 exert control on on documents um, as they exist in place. So it's an in-place control. So that obviates the need for much of the email archiving or file archiving that's necessary. Now, the, there is an archiving component because you don't want to, that's why I said move, moving, move as well, is you don't want to keep documents that say, say you don't want to keep a record on a desktop. Desktops are, aren't that, you know, they're pretty ephemeral. They don't last that long. And it's certainly not the right place to keep it. It may start there, but eventually it ought to get moved to someplace else. So there is a need for archiving. Um, there is a need for um, retaining things centrally, so absolutely that doesn't go away. But you should only. But the idea is through classification is to reduce dramatically the amount of stuff that has to go into that central archive, and only the things that go into that central archive are things that the organization um, needs to keep for a period that would be longer than um, you could reliably manage it in, in, in its active state. Mimosa's Tulip challenges this approach and points out concerns about network bandwidth constraints. So one of the problems you're having there is basically the crawling off the network to maybe find content, which in some organizations could literally bring down the entire network down to its knees because it's not capable of handling these kind of requests. How are you going to solve that? Yeah, so it's that's a, that's an interesting question. The it depends on how you tackle the bandwidth. So first of all, you're not in, in the, the architecture that I'm putting forth. You're not necessarily sending the entirety of a file over. Again, you're sending something that probably represents eight, ten, twelve percent at, at best over the line. So it's not so huge. Um, so in an active state, it's pretty easy because again, you're doing more of the. You've got agents out there that sit on the desktop. Once they're sitting there, they're doing the work and doing the extraction. So you are distributing some of the processing. So effectively, you're like a distributed file system. You're distributing that processing out as far as you can go to the endpoint, and, and you're leveraging some of the processing power that exists on all the various endpoint devices. So that certainly helps you. You do have a communications component that, re that requires you to send send you know commands, which is pretty trivial, but also to send to to extract some of that dot, that information back. And and that that does have uh, some bandwidth implications on it. I mean, there there's there's no way around it. Frankly, um, it's not particularly heavyweight but you need to make sure that you do have the network infrastructure so you can do it. Also, one of the things that's important, though, is that any activity associated with a distributed environment has to be asynchronous. 
So there, there's no way that you can right. uh, force a uh, force it to be asynchronous. There's just too much communication to create too much uh, uh, chatter on the network. So it has to be such that there's a queuing mechanism on a distributed device, and, and that's what we've done certainly for email, for SharePoint, for for uh, you know desktops and things like that, where you can you, you have some mechanism to queue things up and, and and manage that distributed environment, so so that you're only only uh, and that you can also work in a throttling mechanism, so you can work either offline or at a time when you're you're not uh, when when you're not utilizing network bandwidth is is at its uh, is at its most available. Mike, how's feedback been from the prospects that you've talked to? Well, the good news is, is the, the, the feedback's really good. Uh, in, in general, people see this as, as a great opportunity and a great method to, to, to go ahead and, and, and gain control of, 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 a, of a set of data, a set of information out there that just feels completely out of control to them, and, and they know that it's causing risk. So there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt because of it. So we can come in and, and establish that control, and people see that very positively. Uh, obviously, putting uh, something out on, on the desktop that's akin to a uh, virus scanner, uh, you know, the, the IT people have have a rightful, uh, rightfully so, are concerned about that. They don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to see anything that's going to uh, interrupt their uh, the or, or damage the stability of it of the the desktop environment. They want to keep that as clean and and robust as possible. Certainly, integrating with the email environment, people are very concerned about email. It's a highly transactional environment, and it's it's and servers are optimized for certain things. So, how you integrate with that as well in a way that's lightweight and 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 handles just a few actions, but doesn't actually actually um, you know doesn't interfere with the uh, with the email environment. Uh, from a policy perspective, some of the challenges are saying, well, I understand this and I think this is the right way to do it, but we don't have our act together enough to uh, to, to, to establish our policies. Uh, that's a, that's probably you know the technical side uh, can can mostly be can mostly be addressed as long as you're smart about it from a testing perspective and ensure sure that you, you know you do you use good good IT, use your IT skills and use them appropriately. Uh, the policy side does take some time. Uh, people need to understand what the policy, policies are. They need to be able to organize them in a way that's simple and, and ultimately codifiable, and then, and then uh, again, do things like build training sets or queries that can go ahead and uniquely identify them. So those are the, 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 biggest, the biggest things that we're seeing. But in general, the, uh, when we talk particularly to the legal folks, and then we talk to the legal folks and the IT folks together, which is always how we want to frame it, uh, we get a very positive response. Mike Versace, who represents the financial community, wanted to know if other IT professionals are being proactive or reactive. Mike, just one quick follow-up. Do you see sure. these tools being used um, sort of proactively? So uh, from the point of uh, content creation yeah. uh, or reactively? That's a great to question. Put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly how we think about it. Those are the terms we use. Uh, you know, we use the proactive side. The proactive side is all about enforcing your policies. Ultimately, uh, it's ensuring that you're getting rid of the stuff you need to get rid of and keeping the stuff you need to keep. On the reactive side, uh, you can leverage the same set of capabilities because you know where. Again, we've got a distributed in control of that distributed environment. We know where it is. As long as you have the capability to prevent deletes, which is uh, you know that that the first reactive thing you've got to do, and you have the ability to to collect the information. Um, at that point, you've got an ability to, to, to perform, to have an, an appropriate litigation or investigation response. So it really works on both sides. And, and, and the a good thing is that you end up investing 
instead of spending money time and time on litigation, if you can start to drive down the cost of those litigations by putting in tools that can control the, or the, the, the documents that you have in a proactive way, you start to really uh, – you're not so much uh, just throwing your money away because you've got a litigation. You're investing in a, in a more capable infrastructure for the future. Mike, can you please talk about the archiving and retention architectures that Wikibon users should be thinking about in the future? The architecture, in the simplest way, is a centralized metadata repository. That metadata repository has information, uh, your typical metadata that you have from a file, but it also has the text of a file, and you're going to use that for control. Uh, the idea is you need to pull as much information into that metadata repository as possible. So there is some level of, uh, of, of centralization. I don't think we can you know, move to a complete uh, decentralized point where you're actually pushing the entire policy out to various applications because the overhead of changing the applications or changing the operating systems is really just too much. Eventually, what we want to see is uh, the, the near-term, the, the reactive solution is, this, is, a, is a, that massive central archive. We think the longer-term solution is control of the documents and control of the files uh, you know, in place where they reside, and then only archiving those things that really need to be archived for a particular purpose, and I think that's a long-term approach. Uh, you need to move, again, the capabilities out, and you need to move again, that capability to preserve it, the, to hold it, the capability to, to proactively um, collect it, that capability to, to proactively delete it into the distributed environment. So you're going to need to, to see, um, I think, a more robust uh, set of APIs uh, so that you can, you, can, you can send information out and, and extract information and, and, and ensure that you can control that distributed environment. And that distributed environment is going to keep moving. When you think it's going to be my BlackBerry, it's going to be instant messaging, it's going to be you know, whatever next generation devices, it's certainly going to be uh, more in terms of document management systems and collaboration tools and wikis and blogs and, and, uh, and websites and all those things that create content that the organization needs to have some control. But as long as by, by, anything, by any application or operating system that creates that type of content or manages that type of content, as long as you have a mechanism to basically make that content visible and uniquely identifiable, to make that content uh, to, 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 to be able to tell, what, tell that, the system that you, sh you shall not allow the deletion of that content for any particular period of time, and then to tell the, tell the system that, uh, can you give me the whole content because I need it for a particular purpose, and then tell, tell the, the application, now it's time to delete that or move that. As long as you can do those four things uh, to any distributed environment, if you have a centralized policy engine, a centralized, centralized categorization engine, you can, in fact, control on it to a point that allows you to meet your, your compliance obligations today and ultimately tomorrow. Mike, what are your thoughts on user adoption and ROI. Records management tools in general, and a lot of these tools in general, had, had, had crummy acceptance uh, because they interfere with the way people work. And even the idea of centralizing everything uh, and not letting anybody save anything on the PC or whatever, again, it, it, it makes sense, but the fact is, um, you, you know, the, the more we can, the, the, the less disruptive we can be to the, the, to the end user, the better IT is serving its ultimate purpose, which is make people protect, you know, product, productive. I mean, that's what IT is all about. Um, security is a, is a byproduct, but ultimately our, our goal here is, is to in, increase productivity. So any solution that, and, and our view is that by putting a distributed control, uh, centralized control over a distributed environment, if you will, and doing it in a way that doesn't interfere with the, the end users, is that you get the best of both worlds. You get the, the risk reduction, you get the cost reduction, uh, but you don't get the fundamental pushback from the end users, and ultimately the business go ahead and, and do what they need to do. 
This is Wikibon's Dave Vellante, and I'd like to thank Michael McCreary of Rational Retention for joining us in this series. You can find more resources about archiving, retention, and other IT topics at wikibon.org. Look for the research meetings and the Peer Insight Archive. Also, please check out our new information management portal. As always, we invite you to participate in the research process, write a wiki tip, post an alert, or join in a Peer Insight call. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a Wikibon member.